0: Hello and welcome to Pumped, the inside podcast by Schwalbe. I'm your host Tobias Woggon and I'm talking here with Schwalbe athletes from different disciplines. From downhill to cross-country and from road riding to triathlon. And today I'm talking to one of the big legends of downhill sports, Rob Warner. Most of the people know him at the voice of Red Bull TV. Because he's commentating the downhill and the cross-country World Cup for the live broadcast. But the most people don't know that that WAP is also one of the most successful downhill racers back in the days. who was the first Brit who ever won a downhill World Cup. What he thinks about the sports getting more and more professional and how he got from the starting line to the commentator box, you will find out in this episode of Pumped. Hey, Rob, thank you so much for taking the time to talk to us. No problem, mate. There's not much going on at the moment in the world, so uh, it's nice to have someone to talk to, to be honest. (laughs) So, (laughs) the the most people know you as the voice of Red Bull TV and the voice of the Donald and Chris Country mountain bike racing. Nowadays, only a few people know that you were a successful downhill rider before. How did you get into mountain biking?
1: Uh I got into mountain biking when I was a kid actually when they first came out which was probably about I'm going to age myself here probably about like <laughs> probably about 1984 1985 I was still at secondary school and like mountain bikes came out and I was I was big into motorbike racing at the time and I still am actually. And um obviously when mountain bikes came out I had to have one like every other kid and then it yeah it developed from there really it was like Probably the first, you know, at that age, I didn't have a motorbike on the road or anything. So it was the first um, kind of taste of uh, freedom, really, just pissing off on this incredible, incredibly shit, I have to say, mountain bike, as they were back then with plastic tyres, like, <laughs> right, you know, the gears. that. Yeah, it was a rally. I had a rally Mustang. It was one of the first ones in the UK. And it was, yeah, it was awful, man. But- it made like... Yeah, it was one of the worst bicycles I ever owned. But it was a but it was a, it was a mountain bike, so you know. Yeah. Wasn't
0: already with suspension?
1: Oh God, no, no, so no, it's... no! It was a full rigid fifteen geared thing. I mean, it was mind blowing because it had like fifteen gears, and it had. I remember one of the big selling points was a was a was a, a rear derailleur like cage protector thing like this bent bit of metal that hung off the off the wheel nut and just like supposed to protect the wheel all the, all the protect the derailleur yeah it was you know it was the early days but they you know it was all right it was it was a means to getting out and about and it was my first taste of mountain bike and of course they've got a lot lot better since
0: so it's crazy when you think about how shitty all the bikes were in the beginning and... yeah even
1: in fact they were pretty shit really until you know quite recent times in recent times they've really become good with tubeless tires and the chain not falling off just simple things i <laughs> yeah. think you know that really make them like now you go out for a ride and like you almost don't need to take any tools you know you ain't get, i haven't had a puncher all year yeah. i haven't had i haven't had a, nothing i've had nothing i've just been riding it's been amazing so yeah i love i love the mountain biking now it, it's it's as it obviously as the best it's ever been you know
0: yeah so I did a little bit of uh, research on Wikipedia, and it says that you're from Reading. The
1: no, 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 no,
0: no. I was born in Reading. Reading's the, the ghetto. I'm from Henley on Thames, the posh bit. Okay, because um, I mean, Reading is the town where Ricky Gervais comes from, and yeah, that's right. Well, Slough's just up the road. Actually, I'm close to where they filmed The Office. You know? Uh, okay.
1: So... I drove around once looking for the office, the building. I think I found it in Slough. <laughs>
0: And ha- then you moved after you you were born in Reading you moved to another place in No, I've lived um, in the same house really? mate forever actually pretty
1: much. I oh, live where, across where the street. Up. Yeah, yeah, exactly. I was only born in the hospital in Reading. No, I never go into Reading. It's um far too dangerous for a person like myself.
0: <laughs> <laughs> because you're so, yeah. so shy and um yeah. Yeah, it's just I, it's
1: just lethal over there, man. It's like yeah, I don't know. I don't I never go to Reading. But um no, but yeah, that's right. I was born there, but now I, um, but now I've, um, yeah, and I, 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 yeah, I've never left Enlion on Thames. Is actually where I'm from, really, just outside Enlion on Thames. So yeah, I've been in the same area for all my life. Yeah, I've only moved hundred feet
0: since I was born. <laughs> okay, so <laughs> yeah. how did you manage to become of the one of the fastest downhiller in the world from there? That's a
1: good question probably really, because it was um there's no hills, you know what I mean? So mm-hmm. I never I never trained for downhill. Even when I was doing it, apart from like on Giant we had training camps, but I mean I went out and like like a lot of the riders do in the South now, you know, like Brendan, Fairclough and that, they're they're not from so far away. We haven't got much elevation here, but you can you can put together short runs that'll work for you. There's dirt jumps, but for me, it came from the fact that I was, like I said, you know, I got in a mountain biking almost as a way of being fit for motorcycle trials. And motorcycle trials was my life to that point. I was on a bike every day. I skipped school. I got kicked out of college. All I wanted to do was ride <laughs> motorbike trials. You know what I mean? And it was it yeah. it was, it was, it was very much my life. And it was everything. I, You know, I'd get up in the morning and just go practicing all day. So I had a head start on all the mountain bikers, um, for technical skills back then you know I mean it was remember it was a new sport in the early 90s but I would say because I came from motorcycle trials I was I was some way ahead technically on Mm -hmm. you know if you gave me a track with some real technical bits then I'd be one of the quickest through it you put some pedaling in there like most of the tracks back then had and I'd be out the back you know I wouldn't (laughs) even be in the top 100 because Because I didn't see mountain biking as uh, downhill downhill mountain biking really as requiring pedaling, it it never really sat well with me. So I used to just roll, you know. But but yeah, that's how I got into it anyway. And you know, it was it was just bikes, innit? It's just uh, and a mountain bike, downhill mountain bike with a travel and that, and you ride it, you know, the way you ride it, stood up. It it feels a lot like a it feels a lot like a trials bike actually. They're quite similar. So it it was it was pretty easy
0: to go across to it, like a lot of riders did back then. So you didn't have this uh, cross-country background than other riders. I think PD was um, was racing cross-country a little bit, and yeah, he was. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, but no, I didn't. No, you're coming more from the technical
1: background, and then you. Were... Oh, I come purely from mountain bike, <laughs> purely from before. But before you know, in my lifetime, there were. I was. I was at an age where I could ride a mountain bike when they first came out. So I, you know, I. In Europe, maybe not in America, they came a little earlier. But, you know, like mm-hmm. I say, like the mid-80s, I was riding a mountain bike. Like, it was a rally mountain bike. So, I've sort of been along for the whole ro- journey, really, on the mountain bikes, I think.
0: And then you were the first Brit who ever wins a Dowell World Cup. That's <laughs> right, mate. Yeah, a 96, bro. Yeah, so that's, yeah, yeah. That's a, uh, yeah. That's long ago. That was ago. a good
1: day. That was, mate. Yeah,
0: that was a good day. That was, yeah, yeah. That was funny. But yeah, but yeah. in the track there uh, there was quite some pedalling in it, right? I mean, oh my
1: it, god, mate! It was. How did
0: you manage so, to win this race? <laughs> well, it was my first year
1: on Giant, so until then I'd had all little shitty deals with no money, and then I got on Giant, who paid me like what felt like a king's ransom at the time. Do you know what I mean? It was a lot. It was a lot of money. But my real motivation then, 1996, that, that year, it was, it never was, the, the money was always a motivation, but it wasn't the main motivation. The main motivation for me was to just have this, I, I'd never really travelled. I'd never, like, and I didn't want to blow it. I didn't want to get kicked off Giant, which was, you know, well, they did end up firing me, actually, probably twi- <laughs> twice during my time with them, you know, because we were so, we were a bit out of control. But but I I got a bollock in Kaprun, and I was really in, don't get me wrong, I was enjoying the lifestyle is what I'm saying, you know, and I didn't want it to stop. And in Caprun, there was a big, you came out of the pinball section, this high-speed, I mean, it was pretty wild to no-break this, this sort of narrow gully, like fast, where Beneke crashes actually in that in, in on race day in 96. And then you'd come out onto this fucking flat field, and it was it was like literally flat. And I came out of this this in, in qualifying. I came out of the pinball section and just rolled like I did. I was really anti-pedalling. Plus, I didn't have the fitness for it. And I almost rolled to a complete stop on this flat field. And the bloody team manager, Johan Lamerts, my team manager, who who was a Tour de France stage winner. <laughs> so it was quite interesting for him, I'm sure, hanging around with me. But he was stood there. And when he got to the bottom, he came down. And he was like, what, the, what were you doing? I was like, what do you mean? He was like well, I timed you on that flat bit and you lost like 40 seconds. And I was like, yeah, I didn't pedal. He went, no, no, what? you actually nearly rolled to a stop. And I was like, yeah, yeah, I did, yeah. (laughs) So anyway, all the results came in. I looked at them and I can't remember exactly, of course, it was a long time ago, but I remember thinking that, well, if I did pedal, because I was like, I'd like 40 seconds back, I'd lost 40 seconds on this section, but I was like, 35 seconds off the top five sort of thing so I was like well if you pedal here you could have a good day tomorrow you, you, and but the motivation was there because I hadn't had any results actually the bike we had wasn't particularly good in 96 it was still basically an ATX 990 it was a single crown fork and like I think three or four inch travel bike there you know better bikes were around but on in Kaprun that bike was good because it was all pedaling anyway and I just I just thought the next day you know you're going to get fired by a giant this this lifestyle's going to end if you don't do something so i I pedalled and I pedalled out I nailed the turns at the top on the fire road and sprinted like mad out of every corner like I was on the pedals as quickly as I could be and by the time I got to the pinball section, I knew I hadn't done a lot wrong and and I'd no break that. And then I came to where I was, like, where I'd apparently lost nearly a minute the day before. So, and I, you know, I stood up and sprinted, and I sprinted, and I sprinted, and I sprinted. And I pedaled all the way to the bottom like I'd never pedaled before. And when I crossed the line, I was in such a mess, because I don't think I probably had never been that out of breath, that everyone was trying to say congratulations and pat me, because I took the fastest time at that point. But... I just rode out through everyone, like basically having almost a panic attack in my helmet, not being able to breathe. And I'd, I pissed off down the road. Like I went down the road and just tried to recover. I was like <gasps> dying, literally dying. And then I came back and, you know, there was only a few riders left and I was, and I was leading. So it was, yeah, it was pretty cool. But, but that was it. Yeah, it was the one time that I really pedaled. And after that, because I'd had a win, you know, I had a good year in 97 um, and then I pretty much signed out, really, because I had big contracts for good money for, you know, multi-years, and I lost pretty much any motivation
0: I had. So <laughs> that was it. I went back to just partying, really, for the, for the rest of my career, I suppose, yeah. So you was, you were motorbiking your whole life, and then you came into mountain biking, grown up in the area with no hilt, and then you're the first one who wins, a, or the first Brit who wins a Donald World Cup. How yeah. did that change your life? Or did it even change your life? Uh, I don't know. No, it probably didn't really change my life. You know, I'd
1: had, I'd had good results before then, like at my second ever World Cup in '94, which was in Canada in Monson, and I was third. Um, you know, and it, so it wasn't like it, it wasn't completely out of the blue. I'd been top 10 plenty. So, no, I don't think it really changed my life. It was a big, it changed me a little bit in the. Like, I resented mountain biking for taking me away from the motorcycles that really were my sport that I really loved. So I always had a bit of a, it's hard to say really, and it sounds weird, but there was always like, I always did, I always, especially after that win, I was like, right, you've done that now. Is you've won it you were the fastest on the day one day you know you, you beat everyone in the world <laughs> that's enough. so it, I, yeah kind of it kind of ticked a box for me a little bit yeah it did it did so it changed me in that respect a little bit but I had a good year the year after because I was fully fired up the year after um but then yeah then after that it kind of my motivations did wane and I probably only did enough just to keep getting paid well and to be at the races you know and it, but a lot of a lot of my um problems with downhill mountain biking came from the fact that there was it was so the tracks back then were so flat and so peddly. and I, I had not signed up to pedal a mountain bike you know as far <laughs> as I was concerned you as long as you were strong and could hang on you shouldn't really need to be out of pedal do you know what I mean it was yep. downhill racing and those tracks sucks man I mean they were bloody like seven minutes long and like you know, like with five minutes flat peddling and like maybe two 10-second technical sections where you try and make all your time. So, yeah, it was it was quite frustrating in the early days. And and, and I think the sport is a lot, lot better now than it was back then. You know what I mean? Like yeah. the tracks, and
0: of course it is. It's, it's way faster and more spectacular. But winning this race is a little bit like a more successful Eddie the Eagle story. So- yeah, that's
1: right. <laughs> a little bit, yeah, that's right. Fucking hell, you won't get me on a ski jump, though, that's for sure. <laughs> but, but yeah, I suppose so. Yeah, from where you're sat, it is. For me, it's not really, because it's just all bikes, you know? I'm yeah. just bikes. I'm just bikes. So, But yeah, you're right. I mean, yeah, it's cool, isn't it? It, it, it was good. And, and mountain biking, we had a lull after that. But in the mid-90s, it was as big, if not bigger than it is now, you know what yeah. I mean? Like, the sport was massive. There was so many fans there. So, yeah, it was, it was a definitely... Um, Looking back it's you know of course it is one of the big highlights of my sport in life but I only put it there level
0: with like winning national trials and things like that to be honest you know yeah, yeah pretty weird like that yeah strange so in the final phase of your career you already have been commentating on events beside the Donald sport
1: Yeah I do a fair bit I commentate I'll commentate on anything you put in front of me I won't say I'll do it well but I'll definitely have a go yeah yeah
0: and then How did you get from the starting gate of the Donald World Cup to the commentator box? So it was about, it was, it
1: was, was, I know when it was, it was 2006. So like I said, in 97, I was good. Then 98, 99, 2000, I sucked. I kept breaking my legs because I was heavily into motocross. Um, All the money, dad, my dad would never let me do motocross. It was always motorcycle trials. So when I got all this money, I just spent it basically all on motocross and tried to be a... (laughs) Basically, tried to be a professional motocross rider. I was out on the motocross bike like three, four days a week with my mate, who was a, who was actually a Grand Prix rider. And I had a spate of broken legs. And then in 2001, I thought, right, you're out of work here unless you do something. I was still on Giant, so I had a good year that year. Not good, but I ended up the World Cup in 11th overall, and that bought me a few more years of money. You know what I mean? So, yeah. <laughs> um, but 2006, I had a contract with Giant again. Um, to go and race the, the entire World Cup series and but at the same time, about two weeks before uh, I think it was just it, it was just our Vigo was the first World Cup in two thousand and six anyway and i I got a phone call from Red Bull, and I had no ties with Red Bull or any anything with Red Bull at all at this point, and they said, and I knew them because i'd gone on a, I'd covered a couple of um Events forum, um, like as in writing stuff for a magazine. I wrote for Mountain Bike UK magazine. I had a column in there and I wrote a few articles. And I got sent to Brazil to go and cover this race down a gold mine. Anyway, long story short, Channel 4 covered it. And they interviewed me just as a as a as an expert, like they were like, What do you think? And I was like, La la la, yeah, it's great. And then afterwards they were like, Well, Rob's really good on screen, you know, he's like you should use him a bit more. So Red Bull rang me up, this girl from Red Bull and said, Would I go to um Would I go and would I be interested in doing the Red Bull X Fighters series as a as a host with James Cracknell, the Olympic rower? And I was like, yeah bloody right it was like Mexico Brazil you know all these like exotic destinations so I didn't tell giant but I just cleared off and 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 started doing that and then Vigo I got that it was bad really I had a, I had a tickly cough right you know like a cough you can't stop coughing yeah like really bad so I, anyway the I got this cough medicine I bought in a chemist, and I drank a lot. I started sipping it, and it really <laughs> eased my cough. But by that, I drank basically a bottle of it the day before because I'm desperately trying to get rid of this cough. And I was hallucinating. I remember talking to these um, fish in a big fish tank in a restaurant. Like I was, I was, I had my air cut off and everything. I was complete. And then the next day, and we were drinking and partying. The next day, in the start up for qualifying, I puked, didn't qualify. Only time in my career I didn't qualify and it was my fault, you know, like I hadn't got a punch or something like that. And uh, that was that was my last ever race. I never went back after that. I just I went into doing X fighters for Red Bull and tried to you know put all my energies into that. I was done with mountain biking. And then I did that for a couple of years. And at one of those X fighters, I met a bloke called Raymond Delieu, who owned Freecaster, who thought I was a professional TV host. And I wasn't. I was just because <laughs> I met him at X Fighters. He was like, "What are you doing?" I was like, "Oh, I'm doing a show for Channel Four or whatever, Um, for Red Bull." And um and he said, "Oh, we could do with you." I've got the rights to the mountain biking. Which because remember, after Eurosport left, the rights went, and it wasn't on telly. Yeah. Mountain biking died a death, man. It was like the lights went out. It was done. Yeah. All the trucks stopped. It died. You know, early 2000s. It was Palmer left. Everything went bad. It was gone. But mainly because the TV rights went, I think. It it just got forgotten. And uh, so that was it. Yeah. And then it was only about a year later that he found out that I was actually a mountain bike racer, not a TV host. <laughs> so it's quite a mad story. But that, you know, and that was it. So 2008, that must have been the end of 2007. It was in Spain at Madrid X-Fighters that I met Raymond. And in 2008, he told, I, I went to... Marable, and that was the first time I ever commentated on anything. And I was with i picked a dude up from the airport, and I was like, hello, mate. His name was Matthias. I was like, so you're a professional TV host, right? Thinking that he'd front it, and like I'd just be the expert. And he was like, no, you are the uh, (laughs) professional TV host. And I was like, you're joking at you mate. I'm a mountain biker. What are you on about? So anyway, yeah, I was so nervous before that first broadcast that I probably... I think I drank like four pints of beer before we even, before we even got in there. And, you know, and that was, that was the start of, that's how Freecaster was. That, that was the start of, the very start of my commentating career. And it was drunk for about the first three years, man. Well, until Red Bull came in in, in, in 2012, I didn't yeah. do a broadcast sober. I couldn't, it was, I was too nervous. So, yeah, funny.
0: Yeah, so the first years with Freecaster, they were really wild. I mean... They were wild, mate, weren't they? Oh, my God. (laughs) (laughs) Jesus, can you imagine putting that stuff out now? Yeah, Yeah. it wouldn't be good. I mean, I think Danny Hart's um, world champion run topped everything with (laughs) the emotion and stuff. And I even had this um, Freecaster app on my phone with all your quotes. You haven't still got it, have you? I lost it. It's not still... It's gone, isn't it, now? Yeah, it's gone. So I I was uh, looking for it a couple of months ago and that was crazy so what changed when Red Bull came on board was it still clear that you would continue commentating or was your job on the line no
1: honestly I, I don't really know the answer to that the fact is is that Red Bull definitely took a massive chance on and and used me right and I mean and and I don't think you know, I think they probably felt like they had to at that point because, you know, I had a I had the core audience's following. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. Like so Red Bull come in and they were like, right, we we got the T V rights now. And I suppose they didn't really think like, well, you know, our this 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 following, this the audience that we already have, we we don't want to lose that. So I I don't know. They definitely gave me a massive opportunity and they definitely took a massive chance on me. I mean, Christ, you're talking about Red Bull here, like, you know, what a brand it is to put, like, basically a drunk person fronting it, fronting (laughs) World Cup races for them. So, you know, it did change. It changed quite quickly and it changed for the better. But it was a very, very difficult, a really difficult um, change for me to make. Like, I remember that I got flown out to Austria, to Salzburg, to meet Red Bull, to meet um, a, a fella called Chris Ryan, who's my boss. And, you know, I was pretty cocky. I was still like in the in the realms of thinking I was the hot shit mountain bike dude. You know what I mean? Like ex-pro racer and all that. I bowled into the Red Bull offices and he was like, so you've, you've been trained as a mountain bike, as a commentator? And I remember I actually like laughed, like laughed dude at this, you know, like <laughs> in Chris's face basically. I was like, what's this dude on about? What are you on about? training? You can't have training for commentary. And uh, anyway, I went away thinking... I don't want to do it any different. This is how everyone likes it, you know. And, and and it was, yeah, and it was really hard for me to take on board that it had to be different. And Red Bull sent me to um, a coach, a, a guy called um, Gary, uh, who who sat I sat with for hours and hours and hours learning how to commentate, right? You know, I'd been doing it professionally, I suppose, for Freecaster for, what, three or four years. Yeah, I, I didn't have a clue what I was doing. And it became... <laughs> And it was very uncomfortable and it was very difficult. I mean, it was it was pretty soul-destroying for me. Like, I'd start talking. He'd be like, right, commentate on this. And I'd be like, Where? right, stop. And it was like that. He was like, what are you doing? And it was, what do you mean? Well, why are you shouting? Why are you not breaking? Why Why are you doing this? Why are you doing that? What's this? And it it was an unbelievable amount of information to take in. But my God, you know, it was... It blew my mind, and I couldn't handle any of it. I was like, well, this dude's a football commentator. He doesn't know anything about my sport. It's an action sport I need to shout about. Anyway, I couldn't really get it, and I think it was on year two for Red Bull, when we went to Lorde, that Red Bull flew Gary out, my commentary coach, out for me. Mm -hmm. And they sat him um, in the office with a headset on, So he could directly talk to me during commentary. You remember, I've already got a director in my ear. Yeah. But then they put Gary. Gary had a direct line. And literally, right, because I couldn't get it. I couldn't do it as it needed to be done. And it did need to be done this way. At the time, I couldn't see it either. But now, 100%. And he actually sat there, right? So I had the director going, you know, like, uh, replay coming in three, two, one, like all that stuff going on. But then I had Gary in there going, stop talking. And I'd be like... (laughs) And I'd be like, and here comes Danny Harb, just split one. And then in my ear, I'd get, stop talking. And I'd be like, (laughs) sat there in silence. (laughs) And it would go on, dude, this silence. I'd be like, fuck, fuck, I need to say something. Don't talk, Rob. Don't talk. (laughs) Don't talk. And then like, it feel like an eternity had passed. And then he'd go, and then it'd be like a picture change or something on the screen that would kind of mean it was a good time for me to come in. he'd be like, okay, Rob, gently take it away. And I'd be like, and Danny Hart thundering down this track, you know, and then I'd pick it up again. And then, like, it'd be 10 seconds from me and, and whoever I was with then. I don't know if it was Claudio back then. Probably not. And then he'd be like, stop, Rob, pause. And it was all like this dude. And it was like, it was like commentary by numbers, you know, like yeah. colouring by numbers. It was like that. And this dude, anyway, it was difficult. And I got through it and I I walked out of that commentary booth thinking that's by far the worst commentary I've ever done. And no one's ever going to watch me commentate on a race again and the first thing I did was rung one of my best mates I rung Bertie Dog and I was like Bertie Dog did you listen to the commentary today and he was like yeah out of a race and I was like yeah but the commentary was shit wasn't it and he went what I was like the commentary must have been awful and he went no what do you mean and I was like well didn't you notice all the big pauses in it he went no no didn't notice any pauses and that that actual moment was a massive turning point. Then I got, I got back to my room and I listened to it. And the pauses that had been forced in that I couldn't do on my own, that literally, they flew my commentary coach to France just to tell me when to start and stop talking. <laughs> um, can you believe that, man? Like, Can you believe that? That's how it went down. But that actually, um, that was the turning point. And, and after that, I kind of got it, you know, I did kind of get it a little bit more and it's, but the, but you know, it's, it's a constant work to be a good commentator. Like I just did a, I just did a Fort William, uh, 10 years of Fort William, this kind of like fantasy Fort William show and you know when i watched it back i did, yeah it was a different one because it was a world cup but all winning runs but you know my energy was too much i didn't it was wrong anyway what i did i wasn't yeah. very happy with what i did you know it's because it was probably because i haven't commentated since last september you know it's nearly a year now yeah since i've commentated so you know it's like riding a bike you have to stay practicing you need to you need to keep doing these things to be good at them but
0: it'll come back yeah but yeah but that was an eye-opener the other day doing that you know so it was a pretty big challenge for you to change your commentating. But can you imagine how it was for your coach that he got a phone call from Red Bull and they told him, dude, we we need some help. Um, yeah. Could you take him as a client? And he was watching your first video and maybe he was thinking, oh man, what should I do with him? Maybe.
1: Yeah, I would imagine, dude. Yeah, yeah I'd imagine. He's also like a... This dude, right, he's ultra clever as well. He's like a, like, like his house is full of books and shit, like where you sit in this sort of study thing. And, and like the, the couch was a bit like one of them ones you can lay on. And at one point he did tell me that he's um, also a psychologist. And I was like, what's a psychologist? And he was like, I was like, is that a shrink? And he was like, yeah. So I was like, oh my God, this is getting worse. <laughs> I'm like, Am I here for commentary coaching or for like, because, you know, I need real help in life. <laughs> we never ventured into that luckily, but. I'm sure it was on his mind, like, Jesus Christ, what am I going to do with this fella? Do you know what I mean? But yeah, it was (laughs) funny. It was funny. And, you know, joking aside, like, honestly, without his help, I wouldn't have a job now. And without Red Bull's help, I wouldn't have a job now. So, all joking aside, I, you know, I have no regrets about any of that. And and I'm incredibly thankful to everyone who got me to to where I am. You know what I mean? Because it is a... It is a you you won't do it on your own, really. I don't think you can. I think you probably you know you do need help. You do need to know how to do it. It's a the commentary is. There's a lot goes on in commentary. It's my it's probably my favourite aspect of the job, really. The commentary more than the presenting. I love the commentary. You know, it's so hard to get it right. It's so hard to get it right. But you can be so, you know, it's just words, man. But it's amazing what you can do with words, isn't it? You know what I mean? So I love it. Yeah, I
0: do love it. The sport has uh, become more and more professional in the last years. And you have helped to make the sport more professional. By the way, you're
1: accommodating. Wow. wow, that's a statement. I have made Man in Bike get more yeah. professional. I, ne- <laughs>
0: I never thought I'd hear that, bro. Did you ever dream that you would be responsible for making, for professionalizing <laughs> the sport? <laughs> <laughs> that's,
1: a, that's one hell of a statement that is. I, do, I don't. I, I don't know. I think it's a natural progression of the sport, isn't it? I mean, I don't think it's I don't know. I don't think it's anything to do with me. I I guess I I've, I've I've had I th- I would feel that I haven't led it. I've kept up with the professional. I don't know. It's a good question actually. It, the whole thing with, with with proper TV coverage I think has made the sport more professional. Of course it has. It's brought more money in. I mean, so you know, all these things, yeah, add, add up to, to, to what the sport is now. And, uh, you know, I think we might not have all the lunatics we had in the mid-90s and some of those big characters, but we've got the best racing we've ever had. And that's miles more important than anything else, isn't it? You know what I mean? It's like, it's never been better to watch than it is now. It's insane to watch now. It's incredible.
0: Definitely. So the, the sport is super professional and the athletes training like hell. But yeah. um for me, it's, you know, if... This rider is not the fastest, there will be another one. But I think it, the sport has more to do with how you can present it. Because you have a couple of examples. If you see the uh, MotoGP on television or you see the Supercross in the US, there is a completely different style of commentating and I really enjoy more the u.s style the supercross style and it's yeah s- and it the same with um with dude with just today. quickly
1: i would be, i would give my left ball uh i shouldn't have said you know what i mean i i would <laughs> i'd love to be ralph shaheen man now that dude's got the voice isn't he yeah huh let's light the candles in minnesota it's like yeah i love it dude it, it's the, so the, much the american more... supercross commentary is great well you know i I would I would love to be yeah I try and um I try and live up to the to the supercross a little bit like I I definitely watch the supercross with an eye on the commentary because I yeah. love Ralph and his his big voice man he can bring so much energy and just with just a sentence you know what I mean yeah. he's good yeah And then you w- yeah, you're watching
0: the the GP or the uh, MXGP and he's like oh this guy had a moment and, yeah. and that's it I mean there is so much going on and he just this guy had a moment Yeah, like it's a bit flatter. Yeah, Yeah. and it's a no. That's right.
1: You need it, mate. We're in. You know, downhill is like it's mental. It's it's massively spectacular and wild. You can't. Yeah, as professional as it is, you've got to, and same with the supercross. You know, you've got to, you've got to acknowledge what they're doing. You've got to realize that what they're doing is so real, man. Like you know what I mean? It's like and you've got to, you've got to react in commentary to bring that across, without a doubt. For me, and I guess you know it, it, it depends on your personality, but. I am genuinely excited when I watch it, so yeah. it's not—it's not, it's easy for me, you know. I mean, I, I stand up and scream at the Supercross regular. Yeah. So
0: even though I'm not actually commentating on it, but yeah, yeah, mean, it, yeah, it gets me all the time. And when now you have the chance to watch the Darwin World Cups in English with you, and then the the German one. Oh yeah. And you're watching and the Portuguese same, and everything, you're watching the yeah. same race, and it's completely different.
1: Yeah, well, I've never, I've never obviously watched one in another language because I can't speak any yeah. other languages for a start. But yeah, I'd be interested to, 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 to sort of yeah, to, I, to, to be able to watch one. But
0: I really think that commentating is one really big piece to the puzzle to make the sport, um, yeah, successful. Oh yeah, I would agree with that. Yeah,
1: like I think a good commentary, yeah, it can make all... The commentary can make or break a sport, and yeah. that's that's across the board. That's any sport. I, I feel like, really, that... I don't know, but I feel sometimes like you shouldn't almost... You shouldn't notice the commentary. The commentary should just be there and be good. If it's annoying... It's crap. You know when you watch commentary and like you notice the commentary and you're like, oh shit, I don't know in a bad way anyway. And you're like, oh shit, what are you on about, mate? That's rubbish. I mean, I'm sure I say things that people say like that all the time, <laughs> but but you know that's right. Yeah, yeah. If it's a, if if commentary's bad, it will it can destroy an event. Yeah, yeah, that's that's for sure. That's for sure. Yeah, definitely, definitely, definitely.
0: So not only the athlete has changed a lot, also the technique on the bikes what is the biggest development of the last year would make the bike so much better than before in over in the last
1: year or in the last years I in mean, the last years wow well, poor i think it's everything i really <laughs> do you know it is like the bikes got bigger the wheels got bigger the suspension got better more travel the the tire technology is incredible now you know what i mean like I mean, I couldn't get to the bottom back in the day without getting a flat tyre. Now, rarely see punches, you know, just, just yeah, just everything has is, 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 is come together to make this sport what it is now, which is incredible to watch, isn't it? It's mental, isn't it, when you watch it, how fast they go. Yeah. You know, and of course, the riders themselves, of course, like you said, you know, they've, they've become athletes, real athletes now. So, yeah. you know, they that also, yeah, that's right. They're built for the job in hand. And, you know, yeah. if it's, they're built for three minutes, man, and that's what they do. At extremely
0: high, extremely high speed. you know what I mean? Yeah, it's it's phenomenal, isn't it, to watch? So you're also presenting several video formats like Rob Meets, where you spend time with different athletes and get to train yeah. with them. And, yeah, and you, yeah. <laughs> you, um, you're also presenting Rob Waters Wild Rides, so where you fly that's to right. remote regions and search for the most exotic trails. Is that's it that's right? Is yeah. it the biking? What excites you the most on on these kind of stuff, or is it the different landscapes and cultures and all this Whoa. side? Well, they're they're two very
1: different shows, really. Like so, like you say, meets I go and meet athletes, the best, very nearly always the you know the best at what they do or very close to it, you know. That they, so I get to meet. Some incredible people, you know what I mean. Like I was in New Zealand with Mad Mike Wadette, you know what I mean, or I was in Sheffield this a few months ago with Shauna Coxey, you know, learning how to climb. One of the world's best, you know, climbers. I mean, to see her in action was just was just incredible. And so that that series is, I love it, man. I do. I get to do a bit of re. I quite enjoy research. I don't mind admitting that. So I get to research the athlete. I get to find out about a new sport, and then I get to go and meet them and live it with them. So that. You know the people I've met and where I've been with that with that meat series is just unbelievable and it you know and it that that's been you know that's one of the best things I've ever done that is and 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 wild rides was kind of a for me it was a different series because on meats I'm the presenter yeah. whereas in wild rides I can kind of be more me, not that they can use most of me being me <laughs> <laughs> but you yeah, know that so wild rides yeah wild rides was. Very, very exciting as well, and um, I I can't explain quite how much I love doing it. I went away on a trip for four months, that whole series, which, well, actually, Meats came in as well, and I just, I left, I think I left in January, and I came home a week before the first race, three days, actually, before the first race in Maribor last year, so, Mm -hmm. but yeah, it was was an insane, (laughs) an insane undertaking to go and... Travel and uh, you know, but I loved Well, it's too much to even talk about. I was riding volcanoes in Ecuador, I was in Colombia, like I don't just you know, one day. The next day, I was in the pool then I was flying in a plane up to Johnson and in the biggest mountains in the world, riding up there. It didn't get above freezing for a week, you know. And then I was in Africa, like next couple of days later, I was in Africa hanging out with a tribe who were eating goat. You know what I mean? Yeah. It was just yeah, it was, it was bonkers. But what, what a yeah, what a what a what a what a trip of a lifetime that was, you know. I'll never I'll never forget that and I'll never forget the people I met on that on that on that um on that wild ride trip. Yeah, that was it was incredible. Uh, and you know, on top of that, like you said, I got to ride my mountain bike a lot, which was bloody brilliant. And I got to really go mountain biking. Like, it wasn't bike park. It was real mountain biking. You know, the wilderness, like, dropped off by helicopter on the top of a peak and see in six hours. It was all like that. So, yeah. yeah, it was it was absolutely phenomenal, mate. Yeah. And I loved it. And I'm proud of that series. And I like both those series, actually. But I'm almost really proud that I got through all of Wild Rides because it was like, it was a, you know, I was riding a lot. And on blind trails and stuff, and I was sort of waiting to have a big accident, but it didn't come luckily. So And
0: not to get eaten by a lion or <laughs> like the
1: Yeah, we saw some lions, mate. We see a, rh- a rhino squared up with us. Yeah. That was that that was genuinely um twitching that was. I was like, whoa mate he <laughs> was like, if that fucking thing charges, we're in trouble, you know, and it was square on. So yeah, yeah, it was great. And I met these African tribes, mate, these these tribes I hung out with. I stayed I slept in mud huts a lot. on the the african leg and fucking hell man it was just it was the most eye-opening thing i've ever experienced actually to see how how, how these people live and how happy they are living like that you know what i mean they got nothing but it was but they'll give you everything yeah it was it was absolutely insane i mean you imagine like rocking up to an african tribe and you know they have like they had fences not fences they had bushes all around that they pulled up like spiky bushes like it was the was the boundary of the, of the of the village and i was like what's that and they were like oh yeah it's to stop the elephants trampling you in the night i mean it's just <laughs> shit like and all the light and tigers coming and eating everyone like yeah great it was like it was just mental yeah it was wild really good fun like yeah they knew how to party they like they like to drink those
0: lot they were cool yeah <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah they brewed their own stuff yeah it was wild so if you had to pick one trip out out of these uh, wild rides which country would it be Oh mate, oh I think this god. is probably the hardest question.
1: It's it's virtually an impossible question to answer. That is, good god. So I, I can't answer that really. Probably, probably Africa stands out as you know. I went to Kenya and Azuto, and and just because they're culturally so different to anything I've ever experienced, those probably stand out. You know what I mean? Like they were they were probably the wildest of the of the trip, but. You know, Ecuador, I was riding down Cotopaxi Volcano. That's something I'll never forget, ever. I'll never, ever forget riding a mountain bike down a fucking volcano, man. Like, you know what I mean? Yeah. Like, it was just, it was absolutely mental. So there was New Zealand, of course, was, I'd never been to New Zealand before. And it, 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 it surpassed all my expectations, which were, you know, incredibly high. So, yeah. The world's a beautiful place, man. You've got to get out there and see it, haven't you? And I've been lucky enough to do that with that with that series, really. You know what I mean? Yeah. So, yeah, let's hope for some more of that. And
0: which country is still on top of your of your bucket list?
1: Ah. Oh. What's some? Oh, I don't know. For some reason, I really want to go to Iceland. Yeah. I'm desperate to go to Iceland, see all that. They've got vol- – I've got a thing for volcanoes that d- developed in um, – developed in ecuador really <laughs> when, I, when, I, when i first set eyes on packs it was love at first sight so yeah i've got a, i do like a volcano mate they blow my mind you know what i mean yeah so um so yeah more of that really yeah more of that yeah iceland would be would be amazing to go to yeah and do, and do some riding definitely
0: that sounds really good then you have to you should go to um to russia to kamchatka there are a lot of big volcanoes is there really yeah it is well
1: if there's a wild rise series two i shall put that forward definitely i'll put that forward (laughs) yeah yeah i'd love to see that yeah yeah i'd love to see that
0: rob thank you very much for your time it was pleasure my man oh it's been great fun thank you hopefully uh we will see us soon and uh, hopefully the the world cup racing starts pretty soon so thanks a lot and um
1: fingers crossed man that's we're all we're all praying very much uh for for the for races kicking off in September, aren't we? So yeah, fingers crossed. I hope so. Definitely. Thanks a lot. All right, mate. Yeah, thanks, bro. See you in a bit. ta Or V design. Or V